Welcome to Legacy Church, Amelia Island. We pray that you are blessed by the message that you are about to hear, and we believe that it will help you leave a Christ-glorifying legacy for generations to come. This is your first time at Legacy Church. My name is Carlos, and I am so happy that you've joined us here today. Hopefully you feel part of the family and part of the community. If you're joining us online, welcome. We are so happy that you've joined us today and hope that you'll be encouraged. But we are so grateful for all that God is doing in the life of our church. We've entered a new series. I'm so excited when we enter into these new series where God is speaking things to us. In the last series, we talked about the purpose of our gatherings, the purpose of what disciples truly are. Now we're going to take the next probably five or six weeks and talk about the cultural values of the kingdom of God, which means what? They are to become our cultural values of our kingdoms. Amen? It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to step on some toes. It's going to force us to think different ways. But I promise you, it's going to mean something. Um, you know what? I just saw something. Um, I saw there's a special birth in the house. Dad, can you come up real quick? He's usually not here. Come here, Dad. Come here. Come here real quick. Give him a hand. This is my dad, Pastor Carlos. Come up here real quick, Dad. I'm all excited now. Yeah, so he, he, he preaches in the evening. So usually he's not at our services. He's preparing his sermons. Um, 72, is it? Hey, the future's bright for me, right? That's 72. The future is bright for me. Um, happy birthday, Dad. Thank you for that. He hates this. He's, hate, he's, he's getting bit. Like, he's going to get me for this, won't you? Yeah, I will. Yeah, you will? Yeah, I will. So we hung out on Friday. That was his birthday, September 15th. Uh, my 72-year-old man. And we hung out. We did a little bit of everything. Went out to eat. We got your new phone. We went shopping. First time we ever went shopping together. So listen to this. So we were in the dressing room together trying stuff on, right? Left the door open, and, uh, and then somebody walks by. We're like, Dad, you got to close those things, all right? Um, it was a pretty fun time, yeah? Wonderful time. Wonderful time? Special Fantastic. Time. So the, um, I just want to tell you on your 72nd birthday, I'm not sure how many more of these you're going to have, right? He's getting old. Let's be honest. He's getting old. Um, easy with that. All right. Take it easy with the old stuff, okay? I'm getting thumbs down from the crowd. I'm losing them quick. I better get to preaching. Um, I just want to tell you, Pop, uh, you are my hero. Um, I love you with all of my heart. Um, I tell many times in my sermons the, the sacrifice you made for me and my, our family, that you loved God, that you found him in Old Country Church at 35 years old. You were brave enough to commit yourself to God, to kick habits and behaviors. You brought Jesus to me and to now my family, now your grandchildren. And so I will never be able to articulate how much I love you. I respect you. I honor you. I appreciate you. From the bottom of my heart, I hope I can be like you one day, Dad. I love you. Happy birthday, Pops. I was going to sing happy birthday, but he might have uh, pushed me off the stage. He's from South Jersey, so he's got that, you know, that little thing you push him too far. But, uh, but happy birthday, Dad. So grateful for your life. And, uh, and I hope any time that you guys see me, you know, I just stand on his shoulders. Um, he's done so much, opened so many doors, even preaching and teaching here and being a pastor. He was, he was my first phone call of what God was doing. Um, but thank you. I love you. So we're going to jump into part two of, of where we are. I started the message last week, many of you know, and uh, I, I, this concept of loving God in the proper way, I only got to one of my thoughts, and I had about four or five lined up. And so I'm not trying to go like Rocky sequel on us today, 
but it truly is part two to the last one. And today's going to be the power of culture, part two. So I know my note takers like to line those things up. And so um, there's something that God is stirring in this message. that it's, it's, it's the cultural values of the kingdom of God. And if you can land some of these, it's going to make all the difference in your life. Will you pray with me? Lord, you are faithful, and we are so grateful to know you and to love you. God, I pray today we don't come before you saying, Lord, give me, give me, give me. But as the prodigal son came back to the father in his heart now, fixed on you, he said, make me, make me, make me to whatever you want me to be. So Holy Spirit, you are invited. You are welcomed. If you don't go, we we won't go. If you don't speak, nothing will be said. Open our eyes. Open our ears. That your kingdom come and that your will is done on earth as is in heaven, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So we began this new series last week, and, and it's this awesome topic. I don't feel like I'm the one that should be talking about it. I feel like there should be somebody older and wiser and, and been through the faith, you know, 40, 50 plus years. Uh, but I'm all I've got. And this morning, I'm all you got too. So I'm all I got. You're, I'm all you've got. Let's just do this together. But when you think of this concept of the culture of God, you think of this concept that God has an embedded and established culture that he set from the beginning of humanity, and it has not changed. No matter what our cultures around the world change, God changes not. Remember, we discussed this. He is the immutable one. The earth will pass away, but his words will never fail. So we've been talking about and unpacking this weighty, weighty subject of culture. And the thing is, Culture is so dynamic. Culture is, is, is so fluid in, in our society, but not according to God. His culture was set and remains the same. And the more we get to learn about God's culture, here's what I'm learning. And maybe you, you've arrived there. It is totally foreign to me. The things that God says on culture, the things that God says on topics, and remember, whatever God says on life immediately becomes truth on relationships, on you name it, it becomes truth. Um, I'm beginning to see God's culture is a bit uncomfortable. Like what God says on forgiveness, I don't like that one. Like what God says on pride and ego, I don't like that one. Like what God says on finances and relationships, what God says, it is this culture that if done the right way, should feel tense, should feel like, oh, this is different should feel like, well, this costs me something, should feel like I got to be intentional about this one because if not, yeah, I don't want to live like this or it doesn't come natural because I do want to live like it in the sense that I know God's best is in living in this cultural way. Amen? Many of you have traveled to different places and you understand culture. Many of you have been in the corporate world, you understand culture. Many of you have been on sports teams, understand culture. Anybody's sports team culture break down last night? A few of you broke down last night. (laughs) 
Culture is it, it's so important, and, and but when we unpack and discover God's culture and God's kingdom, you're going to see, you're, you're going to begin to see, yeah, that's a little bit different than the culture that I grew up in or that I think to be God's culture or that I'm even comfortable in. And can I tell you, that's not a bad thing. Man, if you don't stretch, you don't grow. I heard this expression, and it, it is so true and so fitting for this series. Someone once said that God's culture is like walking in to your favorite department store, your favorite place to shop. Think right now, your favorite place to shop, what you like to do, where you like to spend all your money and kind of break that budget. And it's like you go in there and they've switched all the prices. And you don't know what has value. You don't know what has little value. You don't know what has greater value. And so we walk through this life giving value to things that really don't have value. We walk through this life giving value to title, to net worth, to ownership of property and cars and things that will rust, things that moss will destroy, things that once you die, they're going to spend it faster than you can say anything else. And we give so much to the things that the Bible says that only spends in this world and it can't spend in the one to come. We just don't know what to put value on and not to put value on. But as we read through the scripture and as we get into this this series, we're going to see if we approach this the right way, this will change our lives because culture changes lives. The Bible taught us last week that culture, proper culture, and if it invades your life and your space, it actually changes the way you think. That's what culture does. It changes the way you think. It's a new lens to look through. So it doesn't matter what people say. doesn't matter what they do. doesn't matter how they come across. doesn't matter what their views on life is. I have a cultural response to everyone to love them well, to lay my life down, to be a bridge to Christ. I have a mandate on the culture that I now live for, the culture of God, that even though I'm in the world, I'm no longer what? Of the world. I'm here but I'm not here. I'm in the room, but I'm really not in the room, spiritually speaking. I'm living for a culture that has me living to a different beat of a drum. This is what God requires. And culture was set very uh, early in the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. That's the Shema. Uh, the, The biggest part of culture is to love God. Jesus, as only he could do, reiterates that in Matthew chapter 22, where we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And it goes on to say our neighbor as ourselves. But he establishes culture for us and what we are to hold, what we are to carry, what our lives are to look like, how you're to respond, how I'm to respond in everyday situational spaces in life. And so the point that we started with last week is what we're going to continue with today. The first part of the cultural value of the Bible, the cultural value of this church, the cultural value of disciples is what? It's to love God. That's the first value. And I'm sitting here, like I said, I'm all you got. And I've got to teach you what loving God looks like. And so if you remember last week, we went through the principle first. And as I thought I was going to run through that to my next point, and there was no way to describe to you, to articulate, to use the frailty of the English language, to describe to you to love a God who the Bible says dwells in unapproachable light, it's crazy that we think we can put something on a screen. We think we can articulate through a message, but we're going to try because we know that loving God and loving him the way he desires is the beginning to have his culture because if you love him well, you obey him and you obey his culture. But here's the problem that I found out. Here's the problem I found out. 
that when we say we love God, there's a whole lot of things that go through our mind on what love is and what love isn't. So when you grow up, the way that you receive love and affection is probably the way you show love and affection. Do you know what I mean? Like you love or don't love. You are touchy-feely or not touchy-feely. Any touchy-feelies in the house? Any touchy-feelies in the house? That's what my man said in the yeah, said, all over. Mostly men, the touchy-feelies. How does that work? Touch me. I can't say feel me. Um, touch me. <laughs> I almost went there. Touch me, right? right. But we got this like, what was I saying? I, I got confused. It threw me off. Yes. Um, we love the way we were loved and those types of things. And also, we love others the way we enjoy being loved. Can I tell you, married men and married women, can I tell you, budding, preparing men and women, that's problematic. Uh, Courtney and I were always reading some kind of book. We read this book a few years back, uh, Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Who's read that one? Yeah, that one will mess you up. That'll mess you up. You can go ahead. I'll give you the permission right now. Put it up on your phone, Amazon it, have it to your doorstep tomorrow. That'll mess you up. You know what it taught me? It taught me that we all have a unique way that we were designed and wired by God and how we're to be loved. Here's the problem. We love others the way we enjoy being loved. And that's why many of our marriages and many of our relationships in, in, in different spaces in life are messed up because I'm loving you the way I want to be loved, not thinking you have a way that you want to be loved. You have a way that makes you tick, that makes you feel valued and appreciated And I'm missing that because I'm loving you the way I enjoy being loved. And that makes us now ask the question, are you ready? Well, how does God enjoy being loved? Because I've been loving him the way I just perceive coming from my culture and the way my my family and then the way I see the world. You know, anybody love a good romantic movie? Like, I'm just in my head, I've romanticized the ways and and thoughts that, well, this is how God would want to be loved, and this is how he would like to see culture. And the problem is um, most of us, all of us, are probably missing it. God teaches what his culture looks like. God teaches what it is to love him, to come in alignment and agreement with him, and to love him well. Amen? And so today, here's the next thought I want to get to. For all of my note takers in the house, loving God equals not just a principle of first but full surrender. Loving God equals full surrender. If you can begin to put God first, and if you can begin to love him well in that category, what you're going to see is we are to fully surrender to God. This is what he is looking for, a full surrender kind of love. It's, it's, It's a spiritual wedding band, if you will, fully surrendered, off the market. I'm taken. He's mine. I'm his. Full surrender. Here's the problem. What does full surrender look like to you? I bet if I pass this mic around to everybody this morning, you would say, you would tell me, full surrender looks like this because I'm in this season of life. Full surrender looks like this because I'm in this, this season relationally. Full surrender looks like this because I'm here today mentally and emotionally in this space of life. It'd be so subjective, right? You'd have your way of surrender. I'd have my way of surrender. And I would typically, I'd put a scripture up on the screen and say, hey, here's what it looks like. Here's a definition. But that might allow us to be subjective. So we're going back to Romans. You remember last week, Romans chapter 12? Today we're going to Romans 12.1. And Romans 12.1 tells us what God believes How to love him, remember, his love language, instead of Gary Chapman, God wrote this book, and this is the way to love him. So Romans 12, 1 says this, 
I beseech you, therefore. Someone say, I beseech you. Anyone missed the King James? And remember that day, like everything you read was in the, I guess some head shaking no, some head shaking yeah. I came up on it. It just feels like a warm blanket to me, little King James. So I'm going to sprinkle it on you this morning. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a what? Living sacrifice. Number one, first way he wants to be loved. Number two, holy. Ooh, that's a good word. Acceptable to God, which is number three, your reasonable service. Hmm. The way to love God, surrender to God, is on the screen. Living sacrifice, living holy, and our reasonable service. This is what, for the next few moments of our time together, what you and I have to walk out and unpack. If we're going to fully surrender, not subjectively, but according to God and love Him well, we've got to figure out what this means. We've got to sit here together and say, when I walk out a day, whether I choose to or not, that's up to you. But at the very least, you and I will know what it looks like. First thing, living sacrifice. He says to present yourself as a living sacrifice, which is interesting because let's be honest, that's a contradictory phrase. A living sacrifice, present yourselves alive, living, but then present yourself as a sacrifice, dead? Sacrifices were killed. You probably know as much whether you know the Bible or not. You put, it, you put an animal on the sacrifice, it's killed. Jesus was sacrificed on the cross. He was what? Killed. Sacrifices are killed. I think we're all on the same page there. But he's saying to present your body as a living, dead thing, a living sacrifice. How can you be alive and dead at the same time? Welcome to Legacy Church, where we confuse you and send you on your way. I hope you've enjoyed your time together. We love you and God bless you. How, how can we be alive and dead at the same time? Why is God asking you and me to be a living, dead thing? That is very contradictory, very confusing. Well, holistically, the whole meta-narrative of God's word is what he desires for you and I. So you and I must cross-reference Paul talking to the church in Galatia, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, to get more insight and context of this, right? So here's what it says. It says, I am crucified with Christ, dead, you get that part? If you're crucified, you're what? You're sacrificed. You're dead. Your flesh is dead. The old ways are dead. The old ways of thinking, the old ways of acting, the old triggers, the old insecurities, the old fears, the old habits, the old behaviors, the old addictions, the old worldview, the old way of viewing people who are not like you, the old way of them versus us. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Now that's the harvest. Now that's my people, my family, right? The old way, the old me, that if you would cross me wrong or cut me off in traffic, the old me... Yeah, that way is dead. So I'm living, but I'm dead to my flesh, dead to my fallen nature. Nevertheless, I live, yet, he gives us the explanation here, a little commentary. By the way, the Bible is the best commentary for the Bible. Yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. So I'm alive, truly alive, truly living. Why? Because of Jesus. And I try to communicate this. I'm getting up a lot. I'm trying to keep myself not so excited. I try to explain to so many people, you're not alive until you follow Jesus. You're not alive until you meet the risen Savior. So many people, when I'm talking to them, they're like, well, if I serve Jesus, then I can't go on this website. Or I can't smoke this. Or I've got to have just one girl. I'm like, that's generally the concept. Yeah, that's generally the concept. Um, and I've got to just live this certain way in this certain space. I said, but you don't understand. You get life. You get abundance. You get joy. You get hope. You don't have to cram all these other things into your life 
because you're lonely, because you're sad, because you're longing for a savior. All these habits, all these behaviors, all these hobbies, all these goals and dreams, they're being cramped into your life because you're longing for a love you'll never find. It's always about the next pill or the next high or the next friend or the next title or the next increase or the next promotion or the next upgrade or the next car or the next house, right? It's always about the next, 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 next. It's a world longing for a savior longing for true love, longing for something that can't be upgraded, longing for something that rust and moss can't destroy. It's a world longing. This is the Christ factor. This is the being alive in Christ. He says, not I, but Christ liveth, my King James liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, because I'm still in the flesh. I'm still in this fallen nature. If, if, if I don't pray myself up, I'll act in the flesh. If I don't honor God, I'm living in the flesh. But now, watch this. I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not the universe. Not the man upstairs. Not all roads lead to Jesus. I live by what? Faith of the Son of who? God. That's where it begins. That's where it ends. I'm dead, nevertheless I live, not me but Christ. So what he is saying is the life which I now live is dead to the culture of this world and alive to the culture and to the kingdom of God. That's what he's saying. I'm dead to the culture of this world. I now, I go into that same department store that the prices were all rearranged, but I'm now alive in Christ. I now know the price. I look at something, I say, yeah, that's not worth that. That sin, that behavior, that missing time in God's presence, it's not worth the tension. It's not worth the hardship. It's not worth the heartache. Having the last word, it's not worth it because I already learned the value. You can be right and still be wrong. All the men in the house said amen. You can be right. It can be factual. You can still be wrong. I've been into the store a couple of times. I saw the value on prices Yeah, I now know what value is. I now see what God says is valuable, that is important, that is keeping minds on things above and not things beneath. I now know what God says. I am to focus on things that I can't see instead of things that I can see. Are you hearing me, somebody? We're going to walk out of this series. We're going to walk out of this church today having value. The kind of value that spends not just in this life, but the life to come. The kind of value that wakes you up Monday morning and says, if I got nothing else to be excited about, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If nobody else is with me, he is for me. If nobody else is with me, he's my rear guard. If nobody else says my name, he says my name every day. And how much he loves me and how much he is for me. This is what is being communicated here. We are told dying to self. But here's the next question. What does that look like? Anybody with me? Dying to self. What does that look like? Well, here's a thought. It's saying no to you and yes to him. That's what dying to self looks like. Choosing him over you when you contradict his cultural values. That's what it looks like. God wants us to be the walking dead. (laughs) True or false? He wants us to be, spiritually speaking, the walking dead. You can't offend me anymore. You can't hurt me anymore. Oh, the old me? Oh, you, you could offend. You could hurt. We might have some words. But the new me, you, you can't. 
that now that I understand God's culture, now I understand his value, say what you want, do what you want. I live for a higher culture. I live for a higher purpose. I live for a higher value. This culture and these pages, we don't accept offense. We don't accept heartache and hurt. We don't accept the traumas of the world. We accept God's grace and God's strength. We, we go from grieving to grateful. That's what we do. We know that our God has a purpose and a plan in everything. But that's not the only thought of, of what that looks like, dying to self. For many here today, dying to self is going to look like something called not being in control of everything. Any recovering control freaks in the house. Yep, yep. Some of you put up two hands. Any recovering control freaks in the house, and, and if they didn't put their hand up, your spouse, you can just give them one of these. But us recovering control freaks, it's something else. Um, we just want to control everything. And it doesn't matter how small or how great, right? It doesn't matter at our home or somebody else's home. It doesn't matter if we're in our space or in somebody else's space. It doesn't matter if we're in a bank or a store. We want to see efficiency. We want to see it done the way that we think it should be done. I've been in the most efficient places in the world and in the, in the space in our country. I'm like, well, it could have been done better. How strange, how weird, because it's, it's my mindset, right? And then we, we throw around terminology to make it okay and plausible to be control freaks. We're just type A's. We're just very driven. No, we're control freaks. We got to surrender it to the Lord immediately because they're driving our spouses and our families and our kids crazy. Because now I'm not just a control freak over my family and my kids, but now intuitively I know one day I'm going to have grandkids and I want to control the way they're going to be raised. It's already happening for me. I already got the schools they're going to. Any other control freaks with me right here? I don't want to just raise my kids. I want to raise my kids' kids. Pray for me, someone. No, pray for my wife and my family, someone. I got a couple amens on the front row here. Surrender today for you might look like, you know what, God? I'm done controlling everything. I'm done being in charge. I'm done being Lord and Savior. I'm done emailing and texting everybody. I'm done calling everybody. I'm done trying to figure everything out. I'm done trying to fall asleep while I'm trying to figure out things. I'm done waking up, figuring out things. I fell asleep trying to figure out. I didn't figure it out then, but I woke up trying to figure it out. I'm done running another scenario by my friends and wearing them out. But, but what if we thought about it this way? What if we could do it this way? How many more 5, 10, 15, 20-year plans can we come up with? Like, I'm, I'm helping people out in your life right now. You don't know. I'm helping people out in your life right now. They're like, thank you. Sometimes we truly have to just let go and trust God. Like, how many more hours of worry do you think is going to help your problem work itself out? Either he's in control or he's not. You know, I I was driving, getting off an exit one day, and and I remember exactly when God showed me this. He said, Carlos, do you know that I want better for you than you want for yourself? Like, has that ever occurred to you, Mr. In Control? Because I don't want to be in control of your life, Carlos. I just want to offer this as something that you may or may not want. Shoot it back if you don't want it. I'm just going to send it out there. And I said, wow, God, you you really want better for me than I want for myself. And I've got to live that way. And I've got to walk that way. And I've got to be comfortable in my own skin and comfortable in my own season. No, God, if you want better for me, you'll move things around. You'll change things. You'll rearrange things. 
We've got to believe that. For all us control freaks out here, we're going to get in a circle and say, hey, my name's Carlos and I'm a control freak. Um, I'm, I'm, you think I'm joking? I'm serious. After service, it's part of my message. Um, we've got chairs and they'll bring them right in the circle and we'll just sit around and look at each other. Control each other. <laughs> Fellow control freak out there. We're uniting. It's the best small group at our church. But God speaks to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 18. This could be a message all its own, but I'm just going to give you verses, a few verses here to give you context. And I think this is going to open up your world and your eyes today. If you've never been in this book, it's, it's pretty profound. It says this in the first verse in Jeremiah 18 verse 1. It says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. It says, go down to the potter's house and there I will give you a message. It's so unique because what he's doing, he's taking him to a certain place to give him a certain message. And so many of you might not like where you are in life or not, might not like where things are headed or going, but God will take you there because if you're not there, he can't give you a certain message. You have to be certain spaces and places in life to see and to hear and to observe what God is teaching you. Jeremiah didn't want to go to the potter's house. Matter of fact, Jeremiah wasn't a potter. Matter of fact, if you read the scripture, he didn't have a whole lot of time on his hands, okay? He was teaching and preaching. He was a weeping prophet. He was a doomsday prophet. His life was always about to be snuffed out. He didn't exactly have margin, you might say, to go to the potter's house, but he does. And God says, I will give you a message there. So I want you to insert your name and your current life circumstance in that message today, in that scripture your name, and he's taking you to your current season because there's a message in this season. Verse 3, so I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. It was messed up. It was shaped. It wasn't what it should have been. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to who? Him, the potter. I don't know if you ever learned a lesson from clay before, but the clay was fluid, it was pliable, it was flexible. there, there, There was no pushback to the potters. This is what you want. This is how you're gonna shape me. Oh, I didn't even know I was marred so insecure, so unsurrendered, but now you have me at the potter's table? Verse 5, then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I not do this with you? Israel, as this potter does, declare the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. That might be your life verse moving forward. That might be something you circle, you highlight, you put on your fridge. Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hands. Lord, I am clay in your hands. I am marred in your hands. Shape me, mold me, make me. Forgive me for not seeing that you are taking me down to the potter's house. This season of my life is a potter's house. I am marred. I am not fully surrendered, but you are shaping me and molding me through life, through circumstance, through ups, through downs, through mountaintops, and through valley lows. Anybody in the valley today? Let me give you some encouragement. There's only fertilizer down in the valley. No fertilizer at the top of the mountain. So if you're in a valley today, God's doing something. 
Let me encourage you, God is doing something. And we see that we are in a space where to surrender control, we've got to see him as the potter. Someone right now, you need to relinquish the title of potter. Relinquish it. Let it go. Not potter, clay. I'm like Tarzan, I Tarzan, you Jane. I clay, you potter. Someone say it with me. I clay, you potter. Do you like that dad joke, girls? My daughters are cringing as we speak. I clay, you potter. Surrender also includes, according to the scripture, man, I've got to run. Surrender also includes, you remember the next part of that verse, Romans 12, 1? It also speaks to holiness. Someone say holiness. Ooh. Anyone come up in church we spoke about holiness? Man, that's a powerful verse. And so I'm probably going to have to reteach this today, right? Not a lot of us know what holiness is or looks like, what holy, holy is or holy living is. Many of us would probably think about righteousness. Righteousness is sin and not sin, right? Righteousness is, is living this out and not living it out. Holy is different altogether. Holy is a defining term of God. The Bible talks about God that he is in an unapproachable light. Everybody says, when I see God, I'm just going to tell him how much I love him and I'm for him. I'm going to kiss him on his cheek like I just kissed my dad when I brought him up here on the stage. Mm-mm. In the Bible, it says they fell as dead. It was so awesome. It was so amazing. It was your best day of your life times a thousand. It was like I get to be in his presence. Holy is a defining term of God. This is how we are defined God. You might notice when you read your Bible, you don't ever read God defined as love, 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 even though he is love. You don't read him, you don't read him defined as truth, 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 although he is truth. You don't hear him defined as righteousness, 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 although he is. But you do, in Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, see him described as what? Holy, holy, holy. You see him describe Isaiah 6, 3 as the Lord Almighty and the whole earth is full of what? It's glory. Or Revelation 4, 8, John gets a revelation of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God who was and is and is to come. What you are seeing is holy God, a holy God on display, a holy God who is set apart, a holy God that is not common. He's not familiar. We don't get bored of God. If you truly know him as holy, you don't pray and get bored. You're like, oh my gosh, the king of the universe is listening to me? He's giving me time in his presence? He's not striking me down? Because he knows you. The real you. This you. In between your ears you. In God's presence, he's for me? He's not against me? In God's presence, he loves me for me? Because all relationships are reciprocal in some way, shape, or form. This is nothing. This is a free gift by the grace of God. Oh my gosh, this is holiness. It's a set apartness. He is not common. He is not familiar. Anytime we worship his name, anytime we read his word, anytime we sing about him, anytime you're driving and talking to him, it is, God, thank you that you would even allow me to enter your presence boldly before the throne. God, this is awesome. This is amazing. This is, if I understand it to be properly a transformational experience, God, in your presence, you are holy. If that doesn't make sense for you, let me give you an old school example. And if you're from my generation, this will make sense. Growing up, 
I knew what was holy, what was not holy. Not inside the church, but in home. Let me tell you how. We eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We'd have certain plates that we'd use. But when company would come over, holidays, we didn't use the regular stuff. We did this holies of holies. There's like a curtain that separated the veil. Like you would step through on the other side. It was called the china closet. Anybody grew up with a china closet? Mom's special teacups and, and, and dinnerware and plates. Go ahead and mess around and play soccer or football by mom's china closet. My mom was not a violent person until you stepped in that corridor. Then she became a violent person. Violence like you would never imagine. A football or soccer ball got close to that china closet. And, but what we would see, guests and holidays and things like that, people would come over and the special, the, the set apart stuff. The stuff that wasn't common and familiar. And all of them would say, oh my gosh, I love this Zeta. I love this teak. I love this play. I'm like, I'm glad y'all like it because we never get to experience it. So we knew it was holy. We knew it was set apart. Me and my little brother knew if we wanted to continue this life and breath in these lungs, we were not to be by it. We just knew that. And I want you to see God is holy and set apart, not calm and not familiar. Anytime you're praying, anytime you're in a church service, anytime you're watching online, it's like, this is the God of the universe. This is the one that loved me so much. He sent his son to die for me. This is the one that intercedes on my behalf right now. Even in the midst of sin, while I was an enemy of Christ, he loved me and he was for me. He's holy. He's sacred. He's, he's, he's the joy that we're looking for. He's the peace that we're looking for. He's the hope we're looking for. He's the dreams. He's the goal. He's the 5, 10, 15, 25 year plan. He's everything we're looking for because he's holy. So we're told that we serve him in a way that's fitting to him with full surrender through these ways. And, and the last one is, is this reasonable service. Someone say reasonable service. So interesting about this reasonable service term is that embedded in the King James, the term is a Greek term, the reasonable service actually meant to worship. Embedded in that language is that unless you are fully surrendered, you are not worshiping. You are not worshiping. Our reasonable service is, God, I fully surrender to you. I submit everything to you because you are holy and you desire for me to be holy. 1 Peter 1.15. You're holy. I want to aspire to be holy. I want to live for you. I want to honor you. I want to be just like you. And just to give that holiness, just another little thought that we are called to be holy like Jesus. And that is not like super religious terminology. Let me tell you why. Because holiness is just following the kingdom culture and doing it to the best of our ability. Holiness is not judgmental. Holiness is not rigid and religious. Holiness is, I want to live for the Lord every day of my life. Holiness is living in humility and repentance. I just felt like I had to make sure we, we, we fully understand what holiness is. But this next thought of, of what a reasonable service is, it is a full surrender to properly worship God. And so you and I can be in here today, raising our hands in the air like we just don't care. Any other demonstrative worshipers out there, probably us control type. Um, we can be raising our hands, but if we are not fully surrendered, the scripture says you're worshiping, but you're not. Do you see what I'm saying? 
full surrender. You have all of me. The Bible even talks about Jesus quotes. You can come to the altar and bring your gifts if you want to. I'd rather you be full surrender, fully surrendered. I'd rather you go make things right and then come back. Do you, do you see what he says? It's, it's about this understanding of full surrender because without full surrender, there is no true worship. Without full surrender, there is no true worship. You should know that. The scripture teaches that. That we are to come in space of full surrender. I want to close this next moment <clears throat> with a worshipful moment. Moment of surrender. I want to open up the altars. I'm going to have some prayer leaders maybe on the left and the right. I want to just close out with a worship song. And as I do, I want to let you know how significant today is and this week is. You guys know that we have a calendar and God has a calendar. Are you aware of that? Most of you are probably. There's a biblical calendar and there's a calendar that we go by. Anybody know what our calendar is called? Anybody? Gregorian calendar, thank you. Anybody anybody know what God's calendar is called? The Bible. Does anybody know what Friday was according to God and his calendar? Anybody know what Friday was? Rosh Hashanah. What is Rosh Hashanah? The biblical, not Jewish, the biblical New Year. So you and I, December 31st, used to be Dick Clark back in the day. Now Ryan Seacrest and whoever else they're bringing out these days. Watch the ball drop. Not God. Rosh Hashanah, since Leviticus chapter 23, you can read it. He said, this is my new year. This is you are commemorate to me. And so I just want you to know the significance of a message during Rosh Hashanah, God's new year, talking about sacrifice. It's massive. Because whenever you start a new year, it's really predicated on where you've come from. And on the biblical calendar, according to God, he is now celebrating a new spiritual year in your life and in my life, in our families, in our church, in our community. So I would say this would be the perfect Sunday to commit yourself to surrender and to search your heart of what you might surrender, of what that looks like, because God will show you what that looks like. And of course, that will end with Yom Kippur, a time of what? Repentance and humility, reminding ourselves of how good God is and how much he loves us, how much he is for us. And so today, here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to go on a song of worship. We're going to surrender. We're going to open up the altars. I'm going to grab my family. I'm going to head to the altar. And I'm just going to pray, God, show me what surrender looks like in this next spiritual year. Show me what you desire. Watch this. Show me what I'm missing. Show me what I'm not seeing. Like, you have a culture. I have a culture. You have a way. I have a way. Can you just show me what I'm missing, God? And I guarantee God is going to open some hearts and open some souls and open some homes and open some marriages and open some things because when alignment is requested and orders restored, man, not just blessings, but closest and nearness to God is released. Is this, are you hearing this? This is massive that you and I walk away today, not the same, but fully surrendered, living holy in our reasonable service of worship. You can stand, you can sit, you can come to the altar, you can pray with a prayer leader, but we today, Legacy Church in the building online, today, guess what? We leave fully surrendered. We leave loving God the way God wants to be loved. Not the way I think I should love him. He looks for fully surrendered, the scripture says. And I plan on doing that. And so worship with us. 
come to the altar with us, pray and receive with us, whatever you like. But let's enter this spiritual year in a way that honors and pleases him. Lord, as we have people all throughout the building and online right now surrendering afresh and anew, Lord, we believe, Lord, that you hear, that you care. Courtney and I are up here representing the marriages in the house. Father, we pray right now with the things that have yet to be surrendered. Or maybe something's going to be surrendered afresh and anew today, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would give people the words, the heart, the articulation, the spirit to say, Father, this is yours for once and for all. The past hurts, the past pains, the past struggles, Lord, the past offense. It's all yours. And restore us and renew us, Lord, to love you well. Lord, every heart that is surrendering things right now, Lord, would you begin to just let them just, Lord, vomit it out. Everything they've held up, Father, from childhood, from adolescence, Lord, from earlier years, from earlier decades, Father, the things that they're still hanging on to, Lord, let this be a day of full surrender. From the oldest to the youngest, Lord, let our singles, Lord God, learn how to surrender right now, Jesus. Let them see whatever's holding them down, whatever's holding them back spiritually from loving you and living for you, Father. Would you allow them to just feel a, a release today in Jesus' name? Be with our students, Father, those who are gathered in classes, those who are in the service, Father. Would you teach them surrender at an early age to save them so much heartache and turmoil? May this be a house fully surrendered. May these be homes fully surrendered to you, we pray. Lord, we seal everything you spoke and everything you said. Let this not be an emotional experience, Father, but experience, Lord, that we connected with you, that you spoke to us, and that we are leaving things at this altar. We're leaving things in this building. We walk away, and and anytime it comes back up, anytime there's a trigger moment, Father, we say, no, we, we gave it to you. It's not our responsibility anymore. It is yours, God. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Put your hands together for the goodness of our God and our King. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about our church, please check out our website at LegacyChurchAI.org or follow us on social media at LegacyChurchAI. We'll see you next time.